0: For the 4.30 movie. The 4.30 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed gross and me, Mark A. Altman have a new oral history from St. Martin's press. It's secrets of the force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the force and don't miss our oral history of star trek in stores now and of course nobody does it better the complete oral history of james bond in digital hardcover paperback and audio that is all Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today it's Revelations, the Deep Space Nine Bible. At the edge of the universe when the future is in peril. Got Cardassians on our
6: back doorstep.
0: One man faces an impossible
6: mission. I will do the job I've been ordered to do, sir. To protect a defenseless space station.
7: I don't believe the Federation has any business being here
8: command of tested crew, Ah! and to relive a deadly encounter. You will disarm your weapons. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: God knows we're going to have a lot of revelations for you today as we continue our ongoing series about the Star Trek series Bibles. And coming soon, Genesis, the original series. (laughs) Give me Genesis! (laughs) And of course, We'll we'll close it all out with Exodus, Voyager, and Enterprise. It'll be one fascinating episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of Enterprise, and it'll be our chance to look back at uh, at that show as well. So look back uh,
1: for a first time.
0: No, we've done we've covered we've covered Enterprise on the show before. Um, but first, a uh, couple of some company business. I want to welcome back our new uh, our newest Trek Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. Welcome back, Ash. I am so excited to be back. It's good day. It's good. I he is. He, just because he doesn't express any enthusiasm at the moment doesn't mean he's not excited. I am very
2: excited. See,
0: this is his All bag.
2: Right. I am tremendously effing excited.
0: This okay. is his, his, uh, his jam. I mean, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a Deep Space Nine guy yeah, through right and through. It's his number one show. That's right. You're Damn. my a number
2: one guy. You are my number one a guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, we got a couple of housekeeping matters before we we jump into the show. Okay. First, uh, I want to let people know that uh, if uh, you can't get enough of us, John, about Star Trek uh, on November 6th at the Skirball Center, uh, where there's a uh, Star Trek exhibition going on, and Darren and I will be um, doing a QA. and a with uh, everyone's favorite uh, um, trek enthusiast Scott mance where we'll be talking about uh, balance of terror and arena which yeah. will be uh, screening on the big screen the big sc- and if, if that's not enough later in the day later in the day uh, the Acudas will be there bringing their own magic uh, to uh, whatever they're talking about I don't know um, and then uh, uh, I don't know. I, I only look at our <laughs> names. I don't, I don't care what anybody else is doing. And, uh, and then, um, and then we got, uh, I think Denise Crosby is coming to talk about um, um, yesterday's enterprise and uh, Brent Spiner, Mr. Personality, Mr. Happy is going to be there uh, talking about uh, probably measure of the man. I would be, I would guess.
1: Old yellow eyes is back.
0: Indeed. So it's going to be quite a day. You know, you got Scott Mance, you got Brent, you got Denise you got Denise too, uh, Denise Akuda. Mike, uh, Mike, uh, and I don't mean two as in second, I mean two as an also T O O. And then you got Mike, Mike Akuda, uh, the great Mike Akuda, author of the Star Trek Encyclopedia, among uh, which is one of his many, many, many accomplishments. And I think we'll have to stick around to see what Mike and Denise have to say because they're always so interesting. And then of course Darren and I uh kicking off the day, um, talking about balance of terror and arena. And I'm glad because we can defend the suit. I don't want to hear anybody showing up and saying, oh, it's such a great episode if it wasn't for that, that, that man in the papier-mâché head. And...
1: Now, for people who don't know where the Skirball Center is, it's in Los Angeles. So, if you want to make the trek out here, by all means. But just to let you know, it's, uh, it's not everywhere. It's just live in the Skirball Center.
0: Yeah, and, I, I, you know, look, I, you've been to the exhibit already, haven't you? I hear I it's have. great. I yeah. have. Uh, Tell it's us about very it. very nice.
1: Well, you see, it's an exhibit of Star Trek, things.
0: <laughs> that's great no it so, is you sound like leslie nielsen in an airplane it has, <laughs> tell us uh, about the exhibit well it's, it's an exhibit it's a it's a big building with patience um,
1: <laughs> but uh, no it has it has uh, several large pieces from the paul allen collection uh, uh that were previously on display up in seattle and um it uh, it has a a nice representation from uh, all uh, all phases of Star Trek, um, and uh, I I'm not going to sp- I don't want to spoil anything because sure, uh, sure. when you walk in the room you'll be surprised and delighted.
0: Yeah, that's great, and 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 I have to say um, uh, that we're delighted to uh, to be there. Uh, I'm excited to talk about these two special episodes, and of course, uh, we will have with us a few honorary Trek certificates. Yes. Um, so perhaps if you're there and you could find us, you might. Uh, if you might be deemed a, worthy, if you be deemed worthy, you might get an honorary Trexpert certificate. Now, I, you know, if Brent comes to us and can answer a few questions, we might we might give him one.
1: Well, but, that means that Brent won't be getting a certificate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the honorary certificates will be coming out of the bag where Jojo Krakow has put them. And uh, we will try and uh, (laughs) why would he want to
1: put a bag over the certificates?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we'll uh, and we'll see what we can do, see what (laughs) we can do. So so that'll be fun. Ashley, it's a shame that you don't live uh, in the Los Angeles area anymore. But if we do make it out to your secret location, to your bunker, uh, perhaps we can talk about Star Trek there.
2: Yes, I'm sure that in my bunker there would be there would be much enthusiasm for the discussion of Star Trek uh it always is let like, I me mean, look i'm sitting in my bunker now look how look how enthusiastic i am i mean and then, you know um <laughs> the, yes
1: if you had you know big vaulted ceilings and uh and those uh
0: those half circles above there it would be an archie bunker that i'm done <laughs> thank you we we got to stop recording me so late by the way um <laughs> and, and and then uh we um, have no I'm... choice on Friday, Nick, Ma- Nick Meyer is talking about Star Trek 2, that November 5th, I believe. Star Trek and, as well, or Star Trek 2? <laughs> no, Star Trek, Star Trek 2, the, Star the Trek as well of gone. Yes. And uh, you may have heard of it. And then on Sunday, they're showing additional episodes from uh, some of the other series as well. Um, I can't speak Dude. to that because I didn't turn the page of the press release, <laughs> but I know that they are, um, that it is happening and uh, I'm sure there'll be some Deep Space Nine episodes and some of the other shows and uh, I, I i no doubt it will be uh fascinating oh in fact you know who is going to be there on sunday joe DeAugusta. because oh, we, cool. we we put him in touch with them or them nice. in touch with him so he'll be there and well, I,
1: think uh, I i may need to go to all the days just to enjoy the uh the information and the panels yeah well, not, you, you not, should. not appearing but just to go you
0: know as, as a guest as, as an honorary trexpert. oh wait no you're a trekspert expert.
1: i am a trexpert trexpert. <laughs> yeah, i'm an og yeah. Trexpert.
0: yeah so you you uh, you should go i think uh, it sounds it sounds like fun sounds like fun um i will not be going but i will be with you in spirit <laughs> and wishing you well Ooh. on your journey um so yeah so anyway uh, we hope that you'll uh, come on down if you need more information you can um check out the skirball center la on social and on the on that the internet uh, and the uh, and they'll uh, give you all the world details you need. Wide web, but you should probably buy your tickets in advance because I do know a lot of these museums are keeping limited capacity. Right, you know the Academy Museum, uh, um, the Peterson Automotive Museum. Right now in LA has a uh, James Bond uh, in Motion exhibit.
1: Right, it's um, the best James Bond experience you can have. <laughs> certainly this moment.
3: month.
0: <laughs> so uh, i i gotta i gotta get down there it's funny because i remember being this is about a year or two ago i was in the munich airport and there was a there was an ad for bond in motion and it was in switzerland and i'm thinking to myself can i cancel the next leg of my flight and go to <laughs> switzerland and go see the exhibit and then fly on from there to where i was going um i did not but i seriously considered it I'm glad I waited because it's a lot closer to go to the Peterson Automotive Museum, oh, yes. um, which I'm I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, by the way, in other business besides the Skirball Center, I want to tell you I did the James Bond ride on my Peloton, and it was awesome. They it's it's they did they started with the uh, the gun barrel logo, amazing. It was at the second best James Bond experience I had, next to the Peterson Automotive Museum. I'm sure. Um, but uh, it was great, interesting choice of Bond songs. But overall, excellent ride. So if you have a Peloton, I strongly recommend doing the um, what is it called uh, uh, Bond in Motion ride? I don't, I don't remember. It, but it's it was great. Um, the other last thing I want to tell us, I don't know if you have, um, Darren, do you have do you have you have Spotify right? You don't have uh, Apple iTunes. You don't have um, uh, iTunes music, do you? I have both. You do. Okay. Do you have it, Ashley? I do. Well, they just added, you know, spatial audio and lossless. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Have you have you I been listening? Uh huh. It's My, really yeah. good. I mean, I, you know, it's. I it takes me back to the time where, like, I would sit and just listen to music. Huh. You know, as opposed to have it in the background when I'm writing or <laughs> right. doing notes for a podcast or or something like that. Of
1: it only works on iOS devices at the moment.
2: Yeah, I know, but it, we all have iOS de- devices. So. I know, I'm just letting the listeners so they, know. So they don't get angry with us because they yeah. too cannot share in our joy. It's so great. It is great. It sounds I mean, amazing. It really sa- it
0: sounds terrific. It I better, love it. It better sound terrific because they're making MRI. a big deal about it. They're making a big deal about it. it they didn't make a big, big. deal out of the lossless. They made a big deal out of spatial audio. But I think that, um, I think they're both huge. The, you know, the Atmos... And the, um, the Lossless are both huge leaps forward. Maybe Neil Bulk yeah. will have to remix um, Star Trek 2 again now. Again? Who knows? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know what I was listening to? Also, No Time to Die, which despite my feelings about the movie, I really love the score. So you do yeah. have time to listen then? I have time to listen. <laughs> I have no time to die, but I have time to listen. It's a good point. But today we're talking about Deep Space Nine.
1: Oh, right. Yes. Deep Space Nine
2: and um, the Bible. Space. There too.
0: When was the first time that you guys heard about
2: Deep Space Nine? Oh, I know exactly when. I remember it, it is burned into my brain. The first time I heard about Deep Space Nine, and this, I, I think I've told this story before. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I sh- No, nope, I'm going to tell this story. Screw it. The first time I heard about Deep Space Nine, I was at a uh, Star Trek convention in, of all places, I think um, it's either Richmond or Virginia Beach. I was with uh, with a buddy, um, the same buddy that I go to see all the, the Star Trek movies with over and over and over and over and over again. And I first heard the words uttered by George Takei, uh, who told us about, like, there's going to be a Star Trek Deep Space Nine and how we should write to Paramount and tell them not to do it because it was basically a negotiation ploy for contracts for the next generation actors. Yeah. And how awful it was. Uh, and that was the first that I heard of it. And I thought, this seems wrong on some level. Okay, like one it was thing told me it's consistent. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right i'm just like i can't believe i'm sitting here hearing this and like the audience is oh yeah yeah he's right yeah, right, it yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so it's- funny because you know now we're they're all one big happy fleet
3: mm-hmm. but
0: people forget going back to next generation at deep space nine you know the, original the haters cast. didn't start with the fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. it started with <laughs> with the cast. Yeah, I mean the cast. I mean the cast of the original series. Wow, they were they they were so critical of Next Gen for the longest time, and then it happened again with Deep Space Nine. But then the Next Gen cast was also getting in on the action, bagging on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, Gene had nothing to do with it. And you can't do a show without Gene. And how could they do this? It shows a lack of confidence in us. And um, all there true. Was, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a lot of, lot, not a, lot, a whole lot of love back then in 1992 uh, when uh, the show was being developed. I I vaguely recall, because that was back when I was covering the show for Cinefantastique. I I vaguely recall someone, probably Michael, saying to me, you know, that we're developing another series. And I'm like, really? What's it gonna be? Well, I can't tell you, but uh, as soon as I can, you'll be the first to know. And I'm like, no, I won't, Michael. Why are you saying? I'm not gonna be the first, you're not gonna be. Yeah, 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 you're gonna be, now the first person you're gonna call is me. Right. (laughs) Hey, well, but you will know very soon. <laughs> After it's uh, we will I will be in touch and tell you more when I can tell you more. I said okay, but I won't be the first to know because no. it's probably not. <laughs> so uh <laughs> you
3: know when
1: I first heard of B Space Nine hmm. is uh probably about August of
2: 92
1: when I went in for an interview with Herman Zimmerman mm. and uh and uh, uh Rick Sternback. And uh I had my you know portfolio of drawings and everything and i was completely unprepared and not yet ready to do a star trek show mm. but it was nice to meet them I <laughs> and uh, i reminded them of that later like two years later when i was on uh, uh the pilot voyager. voyager um but it was fun because it was uh, they were they were off in one of the far corners of the uh, of the lot uh Uh, in uh, I think what's called the camera building was this tiny little hut and they were on the second floor. And uh, it was a very, uh, a a very uh, unimpressive start at the time because they were just uh, just working stuff out. And uh, the guy who got the job that I was trying out is uh, our friend Ricardo Delgado, who is a great artist and uh, who's done tons of other stuff. But he got that. And I am so pleased because he did a great job.
0: And, and a fan that, of the podcast.
1: And he's absolutely a fan of the podcast. And he's listening right now.
0: Hello, Ricardo. Yeah, he's <laughs> Ricardo. <laughs> so, so talented. I remember interviewing him for a Deep Space Nine issue of So Fantastic. And that's when I first met him and uh, ama- amazingly talented. I, I don't I don't like his taste in James Bond movies. But other than that, I think he is incredible. <laughs> I, I think the world of him, uh, we really need well, the world we is have, not enough. We should have him on. You know, I don't think we should talk about James Bond anymore. I think okay, we, no. we, we snuck in no. that episode. We snuck in that episode about James Bond. And um, it really wasn't a, a expert. It was like when we did Space 1999, we did it on the slimmest of, you know. Uh, uh, the narrow read. You, slimmest you know, of excuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when we did Babylon 5, uh, barely, okay. You could kind of somewhat justify it slightly. The Bond one was a joke. It was just an excuse for us to talk about Bond. It really was not justified at all. And so, yes, we
1: didn't talk about our man Bashir because we were talking about Bond and Star Trek in the 60s. And unfortunately, Deep Space Nine was not around in the 60s. So
0: yeah, the- and we had just talked about our man Bashir like two weeks ago. On yeah. briefing room and Bleak entirely briefing room <laughs> <laughs> on Trek briefing room and entirely other podcasts That's and right. I, I really didn't want to get into a whole conversation particularly because I had postmates coming with dinner and wanted to get off the podcast <laughs> um but uh, <laughs> but I have to say I have to say we did make a mistake when we talked about the next generation Bible and, and we were called out for it rightly so where we talked about they never had a um, a therapist again on uh, star Trek after Troy. Oh,
3: yeah. And yeah. of
0: course, uh, it was pointed out that Esri Dax, Esri Dax was, was a therapist on deep space nine. Totally legitimate. We, we totally uh, missed we that. Blew it. Um, we blew it we're, and we're big enough but you to know admit what? it.
2: We're not, we're, we're Trek spurts, not Trek perfects. So there you go. How's that? Does we're that... not eugenically engineered
0: super yeah. people. That's right. We we just know what we know, and we're you know aging, what? and we're forgetting
2: stuff. That's right. We're
0: always forgetting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still 29 <laughs> years old. Um, but uh, you know, I have to tell you, my 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 Deep Space Nine season seven knowledge is impaired um, because, in fact, that was the year that we were making Free Enterprise. That's correct. And I did not see most of that season when it aired now subsequently i went back and watched it many years later actually um but i'm not as familiar with those episodes also i really was a huge terry farrell fan and didn't care about the, the right. new count new to every day although you know she was good um but um i um so i'm not as familiar with the seventh season of deep space nine as i am with a lot of the other seasons because i was extremely busy at the time um and didn't 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 watch it till many years later i remember i because i remember watching the finale but i hadn't watched a lot of the season so it was very confusing and i i thought okay maybe this isn't so good because i hadn't watched all these episodes went on and, and then binge the whole series many years later and the finale still wasn't good but you know that that is what it is things happen things happen but you know what was good the beginning it was a very delicate time. I knew you were gonna say that. It was indeed. For some reason. Why was it so delicate, guys? Because there had never been a spin-off of Star Trek on the air the same time another yeah, Star another Trek series.
3: One
0: was. Yeah. And wasn't it Wasn't it audacious? I, I mean, because the, the idea then was we're not gonna be on another starship. We couldn't be. Because what are you gonna do? Now there's another crew on the constellation. Now there's another crew on the Farragut. You know, and that well, you, can't, you can't, who cares, right? right? I mean, if you have the Enterprise on Next Generation with its beloved cast and to, uh, you know, how, you can't do another Starship. Right. So, so to their credit, um, my, uh, Rick Berman and Michael Piller came up with the idea of setting it on a space station.
1: They did the Western Town. What well, a let,
0: Star Trek needed the Starship? Let, let's go to the very end. I'm going to go to the very end of the Bible because just because Darren just mentioned it, I'm going to go to the very end, and, and uh, they conclude the Bible, and I'm giving away the ending, Rosebud, um, is um, with this comment. And, and this is, I think, a very apt comment. Star Trek Deep Space Nine brings into the Star Trek universe an original set of characters as diverse and memorable as the crews of the first two series. It also provides far more interpersonal conflict than we've seen before in the 24th century. If, as Gene Roddenberry always said, Star Trek is wagon train in space, think of Deep Space Nine as Fort Laramie on the edge of the frontier, Rick Berman and Michael Piller. And mainly Michael
2: Piller. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't stop Rick Berman from getting all those residuals. Damn right it doesn't. And <laughs> You know what? More power to him. More I know, power right? Him. He's yeah. not worrying about where, where the next meal's coming from. Right. But isn't it interesting? I mean, you just start parsing out specific words. Sex. Far more interpersonal conflict than we've seen before in the 24th right. century. Mm-hmm. Right. Not the
1: 23rd.
2: These are
1: the right. voices of the
2: starship interpersonal. Yes. <laughs> um, And it's right. It was true. Right. It was like, it was such a great way to, um, I think it was uh, many
1: steps, sidestep, sidestep the rules.
2: Yes, exactly. While following them. Right. Well, right. well exploring the rules. Right. In an interesting way. Right. Right. And not just simply pretending that the rules never existed. Right. Um, but, uh, but breaking the rules down, doing some, what we used Break to call in debate team, you know, testing, hypothesis testing on the rules. Uh, And which is, I I think, what um, what really made it stand out from the uh, the Berman era track series. And a lot of people
0: on Twitter seem to think that diversity was something that was invented in 2020. Um, But as you can see here in 1992, Rick Berman and Michael Piller are talking about a diverse, a diverse set of characters. And they certainly delivered that. They did. They certainly delivered that.
2: African-American captain, commander at the time. he had a, a, a female first officer. What? You know, what? A woman on the bridge? Like, both of those things were just, were unprecedented, right? Well, and
0: like, he was a single father mm-hmm. with a young, a young, a young son. who was not
2: when, a secret genius. No, quite
0: the opposite. And they had a loving relationship. And Quite, quite um, the
1: opposite. He was a public idiot. <laughs>
2: yes. it was what? it was Jake was drunk in every episode. <laughs> it's like there's always this scene where it's like he's he's hanging from like you know the banisters or something. Nice. Those well, are my the, favorites. It's not like they had a pack lid on the bridge. That's right. That would have been great. You know what? I would watch that show. You know what? You know who should you know who would make great snack officers? <laughs> oh my god, we're back to the, the Packlins. Well, they—they they miss, they never we missed a smart. meal. We make things warm <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's we bring, really we bring funny.
3: Snacks. We bring snacks.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like Larry Drake on L.A. Law. Be great. Oh my Back.
3: god! Wasn't
1: Larry Drake a Packhead? Didn't he play a Packhead? I think he did. <laughs> Didn't he? I? Hope he
0: did.
2: I think oh. he did. If there's oh. a loving God, he did. He also played did Dark he- Man. Well, he, he, he was, in, he was Dark Man. in Dark it, Man. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. played He Dark. played in Dark Man. I he, he, used a,
1: he used a cigar cutter to right.
2: effect. Because <laughs> Liam Neeson has been 50 years old for the last 50 years. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just like uh, Maggie Patrick Smith. And Patrick Stewart. Right. No, I think Patrick is showing his age lately. Well, lately, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, um, I mean, did you see? Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. But because we're talking about deep space nine, I don't want to steal its thunder. Yeah. Um, but this is very interesting no because, thunder. of course, you know, Gene famously talked about wagon trains and stars, the original Star Trek, where we're you know going on this odyssey. You know, wagon train was you know pioneers uh, uh, going across the um, uh, the country, you know, settling in the in the West, and um, so interesting the, the the whole analogy that it's as they said, the adventure comes to us rather than us going to the adventure. Right. Mm-hmm. And now that evolved over time um, because, you know, there was that unfortunate um, uh, comments from people said, oh, to boldly go nowhere or to boldly sit where no one has sat before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got a bad, a lot of bad blood. And I think there's some people who never were willing to embrace the series. Not, you know, they just had in their heads that this is a static, lethargic series. That it's, there's no trekking involved. And, and, and to the extent that it is called Star Trek, that's not wrong. There wasn't a whole lot of Trekking going on.
1: There's no Trekking. No Trekking. No, no
3: Trekking. No, no Trekking. Okay.
0: But I think that the, the Star Trek brand, the Star Trek franchise, is more elastic than just being a starship. You know?
2: and right. and, and, and that's what was so smart about this. Certainly, history has shown us that um, simply having a starship that goes places doesn't make you Star Trek.
3: That's true.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That it really does. It's, but it's interesting, right? It's like it, it, it really is about circumstance and it really is about people in a circumstance. And, you know, the, I think Deep Space Nine at its best was really like just think about it this way it was essentially one giant Star Trek episode about a culture or a few cultures and everything that, surrounded them right it was like it was actually exploring deeply rather than broadly which i think is interesting that is very um, interesting
0: and i think you could argue the previous two series were really about exploring archetypes where deep space nine was about exploring characters yeah you know for sure um let's look at this at the very beginning darren if you would uh maybe read it uh
2: the the very beginning of the bible sure. that takes us into explaining and if you could what the do it is. like rick burman no Herman. no, uh, no. You don't have a Rick Berman imitation? I don't have a Rick Berman. Okay.
1: At least not one to do publicly.
2: Okay. <laughs> and, and, and if you did it as Gene, you would
0: burst in the flame. So right. we, we, can't, I, I, uh, can't we can't do that. Just read it, as, read it as Darren. Doctor. I'm gonna read it as Darren. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, <laughs> a series
1: set in the next generation of Star Trek lore, follows a team of Starfleet officers who take command of an alien space station situated near the Bajoran wormhole. The what? Um, (laughs) One of the most strategic locations in the galaxy. Uh, It goes on to explain exactly what a Bajoran wormhole is, because obviously what they just read, they don't understand.
2: It's nonsense. Here it is.
1: Wormholes simply put... I was just going to say, (laughs) oh, thank you for not reading it. Of course, he goes on to read it. (laughs) I I think we need to read it because we need to understand. And that's what Star Trek is all about. Understanding. understanding. I'm just going to read
2: the first paragraph. Okay.
1: Wormholes, simply put, are shortcuts through space.
2: Experience. You go in
1: one end and come out the other in seconds. Just, just like Shake Shack. Just <laughs> or like, or like Shake Shack. But you, the find yourself, news.
2: Goes in here, comes you find out yourself there.
1: billions of kilometers away. All known wormholes previously encountered in the Star Trek universe have been unstable. Their ends can whip <laughs> randomly around the universe they last for brief periods of time before collapsing. can yeah, even say they last for billions and billions, billions of years. years. <laughs> but in our pilot episode, the first stable wormhole is discovered near the Denorios asteroid field, close to the planet Bejor. Like other wormholes, it is only visible when an object enters or exits through it. Much like the starship of imagination.
0: Yeah. You know, now here's the thing. It's interesting, you know, as we read this that I'm thinking, because look, uh, we all coming from a place of love when it comes to Deep Space Nine, probably our second favorite Star Trek series of Mm -hmm. all time, maybe Uh, on a bad third, 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 okay. Second or third, depending on who's talking. Yeah. uh, I thought it was your first actually. Well,
2: well, it's this way, right? It's like, to me, there is no, there's exactly. no Star Trek without the original series, right? It's like you can say there it, is no Zool. There is okay. no Zool. It's the it's the urtext, right? Now, the truth of the matter is I'm probably most passionate about um about Deep Space Nine as a Star Trek series. But by the same token, the original series like occupies a very special place for me and I think it gives meaning to Deep Space Nine. It gives context to Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really talk about it without, you can't talk about Deep Space Nine without talking about the original series. Right? Yeah.
0: Well, look, I, I mean, obviously, Darren, and my favorite show is, is TOS. Um, but, um, I, you know, I'd have to say whether Deep Space Nine or Next Gen is my second favorite. It depends on the day. It's kind of like Star Wars versus Empire or Godfather One versus Godfather Two. You know, it just, you know, some days it's Deep Space Nine, some days it's Next Gen. You know, so I can't really commit. Other than to say it's great, but I, the point that I was going to make was this is a lot of backstory for a show, yeah, yeah. Um, And they're they're expecting you to know a lot, and uh, there's a lot of exposition that they need to convey. It was kind of ballsy, and I would I would say eventually it all worked out, but by the same token, but I don't know pro- how great this is. The process of setting up the world for deep space nine
1: happened in the last uh, episodes of next generation. But then you I mean, had to have watched next generation. Right. You had to have yeah. watched ep- next generation. And those episodes that sort of set this up were really clunky.
0: Mm. McClunky.
3: McClunky. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because if you look like the wounded was like third season and then Ensign Roe The wounded was fourth was a uh, wounded was fourth, I stand corrected. Yep. And then the wounded was I mean not the wounded, well, uh, wounded ensign wasn't... Rowe was what? Uh, was ensign Rowe was, was uh, fifth. yeah I think a fifth or sixth maybe no, fifth. Fifth, fifth 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 yeah so yeah I mean you're right there's a lot you have to have come in you shouldn't need cliff notes for another show to watch a show you know right. I mean that's not the case with like NCIS New Orleans or you know CSI uh you know uh uh, tulsa
1: i was told there would be no math
0: yeah 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 yeah. and and you really should be able to come in understanding now i guess people would say emissary kind of explains it all but this is a lot in a bible to have to explain and it's potentially very confusing you could see why it could be off-putting to an audience or and and their idea was to bring in new fans and it I don't think this is the way you bring in new fans with something that requires this
2: level of detail about the universe. Right. You know, as as opposed to like, I'm not being facetious, although I am being facetious, like as opposed to Voyager, where it's like, what if you didn't need to know Jack?
3: Yeah, he's, <laughs> right? Right, Which right, is, right. Yeah. It's the
2: opposite. It's like, hmm, what if you could just be completely freaking ignorant? Oh. So right. I, I said
0: to my daughter the other day, "I said you're being facetious." She says, "What's that mean?" I said, "Well, it's like sarcastic." She said, "Well, why don't you just say sarcastic?" I said, because "Well, no, because you're being things. facetious." Do you think? Yeah. How would think- you define? How would you define that?
1: This is how I define facetious. Right. No. Um, facetious means you are uh, you are putting a different shell over an argument you are you are making fun of that position i think right but gently
2: right sarcasm implies sarcasm
1: I- I implies evil evil uh intent
2: right i don't think there's evil intent with sarcasm
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh you don't think
0: so <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, I don't know. We have to do another. <laughs> we have to do another letters to Inglorious Trexperts episode soon. I don't know if you read some of the new reviews; they're priceless.
1: I'm sure. I did they see are. the oh, one to
0: my... Robert
2: A. Altman,
1: but.
0: <laughs> but oh my god, I can't wait! So, by the way, if if you if you want to have a chance of being on the show, you should uh, definitely um, get your reviews up on Apple Podcasts uh, soon because I think we're going to revisit the uh, mailbag. Or email us or, you know, Facebook or, or, or Twitter. or yeah, don't or email us. Yeah, yeah. For don't the love just, of
2: God, don't email
0: us. Send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Right. Um, but, send it uh, to I, Zoom. I, but they're, they're, <laughs> I, and it made me realize I haven't talked about politics enough recently. So, uh, But anyway, so we're talking about Deep Space Nine. Speaking of politics with Deep Space Nine, what was so interesting about the show, too, was that, you know, Michael, and I've talked about this on the show before, very self-critical very much had imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and um he when he finished the, the the early drafts of deep space nine hated it thought it was a disaster that he he wasn't even sure that there was a show in it and then the la riots happened and um suddenly it sort of galvanized things for him he realized that this is a show where um everything is broken and they have to put things back together and people are split apart and have to uh, have to get along, you know. Maybe they don't they don't start in a good place, you know. So the station originally was you know all pristine. The Cardassians left, and we we moved in, and that all changed. And it really so it, the real world really had a huge impact on um, the creation of of Deep Space Nine or the way that it evolved in in, in Emissary.
1: Yeah, agreed, um, and. I think, honestly, Emissary, though it does introduce all the characters, it certainly doesn't, it, 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 it starts with them being very thinly laid out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly don't get into the depth that it gets in, you know, a, a couple of years later. Um, and I think in the pilot, they are still sort of uh, stereotypes, honestly.
0: I would agree with that. The only place I would disagree, and I I imagine Ashley would as well, is you say a couple of years later. I would say a couple of months later because, you know, as Ashley would point out, Progress was an amazing episode uh, for Karen Reese. Uh, By the time you get to Duet uh, and even in the hands of the prophets, those are superb character sketches. So I don't think uh, it took all that long for Deep Space Nine to sort of find its footing in terms of the characters. And you even see... the beginning of the second season that troika of episodes where the station is taken over um, and and Troy, they have Troy to leave. wasn't in the show oh jeez and uh, so but um but you're right I think they're very thinly drawn in uh, and a lot of people love the pilot and I think we love the pilot yeah um but you know it, it's hard I mean I actually said this last week when we did or last time we did the pilot it's hard to do a great pilot it, the, the more important episode, is usually that second episode and it's interesting because star trek has continually botched that uh next generation was naked now a terrible episode um deep space nine was past prologue i think do you remember what the second episode of deep space nine was it was not good whatever it was um and then you know it was the same thing with um uh voyager and
2: enterprise where the second enter- the second episodes were not particularly strong. I- I'm gonna look while while you're right. talking sort of the episode that really truly establishes the format. But I mean look I thought that I mean I agree it's like uh with your your basic premise that um they didn't they didn't completely they didn't arrive fully formed there was still a lot of finding the show like even in um in emissary although there's a lot of great stuff about emissary I think that um, that Cisco kind of emerges um, as a, as a fully drawn character in that, in that episode, but he is not the same man that he becomes later exactly. in the show, exactly. right? Like he's, he's, um, he doesn't, he
1: doesn't become at all interesting for a right. long time.
2: He's, uh, I think he's interesting, but I think that he is, he's very internal. He's too internal. Yeah. And it's um, and it works for the context of what they did, but it's that whole conversation we had about Pike and why why yeah. Pike like would have been problematic for Star Trek versus yeah exactly, um, and I think that it, this was a case where being an ensemble show really helped DS Nine because you got to have Major Kira being like just a you know a bundle of just you know go get them aggression you know what I mean like. That that she kind of uh, gave that show some of the the energy that you would get from a Kirk for that. But they didn't
0: realize that at first, and we'll we'll talk about that when we do the character descriptions. But first, I want to pat myself on the back.
2: Did you Uh, get it right? I got it right.
0: The second episode was past prologue. Directed right. by Rick Colby and written by Catherine Powers, uh, Joe Michael Straczynski's ex wife, actually, a Bajoran terrorist with ties to Kira arrives on Deep Space Nine's pursuit by the Cardassians. The, the only good thing about this episode was that it introduced Garrick. Right. You know, a, so, a simple tailor. A simple tailor. yeah, exactly.
4: Commander, I've already told the good doctor everything I know.
6: I'd like to hear it again firsthand.
4: This is pointless. Believe me, there's nothing you can do. If my friend is correct and Major Kira is being held by the Obsidian Order, retrieving her would be impossible. Impossible for us, maybe, but not for you. I'm afraid you overestimate my abilities. I hope not, because I intend to put
6: your abilities to the test. The three of us are going to Cardassia.
4: The three of us? You can't be serious. Commander, if I were allowed on Cardassia, do you really think I'd be living here?
6: Which brings up an interesting point. There are certain ministers in the Bajoran government who are concerned about your presence on the station. In fact, they want you removed. Right now, I see no alternative but to honor their request. Unless, of course, I can show them how you might be valuable to us.
4: Rescuing Kira would go a long way toward improving your standing with the Bajoran government. Why should I care what the Bajoran government thinks of me?
6: I don't know. But it seems to me if someone were in trouble with the Cardassian Central Command, a Bajoran space station under Federation control might just be the safest place in the
4: galaxy. Commander, this is extortion. Hmm.
6: Yes, it is will be traveling under false transit documents prepared by Starfleet Intelligence. Mr. O'Brien has reconfigured the shield harmonics of the Defiant so that on long range sensors will appear to be a Cobarian freighter. We leave
4: in three hours. I'll go along on your fool's errand, but I want one thing to be perfectly clear. I have no intention of sacrificing my life to save yours. If it looks like we're in danger of being captured, if there's any sign of trouble at all, you're on your own.
6: Mr. Garrick, I believe that's the first completely honest thing you've ever said to me.
4: How perceptive
0: of you, Commander. Um, and I think you you mentioned that you know the the characters. I don't think they had any idea how rich the ensemble would end up being. No, uh, when they Absolutely conceived not. this, like look how was... different Bashir was. Mm-hmm. Bashir was a puppy dog yeah. who was uh, naive and hitting on women to you know and having no luck. I mean that was look that was something that um, you know I, I remember when I was writing the comics, it was very early in the Deep Space Nine run, and that's the way we would write Bashir because that was how he, you know, was being depicted until they realized they were doing the actor no favors. That was back when he was Sadig Alfadil before he changed right. his name to Alexander Siddig. Um And again, you know, we talked about this recently too. What great casting. Um, and it's a tribute to Rick Berman who saw him, you know, on this prequel to Lawrence of Arabia on PBS. They said, this guy's great. We should get him. Mm-hmm. You know? And then he also was the one who was a huge Kalmini fan who really wanted Kalmini on the show. And uh, Kalmini is much better on Deep Space Nine than he was on Next Gen as the everyman. Well, of
1: course, because they actually yeah. have something to do.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting because it's actually not, I didn't see it in here, but I remember in the original writers um, and director's guide, um, there was a whole thing about how parts of the space station had been abandoned. It was sort of Chernobyl like they, the reactors, the Cardassians, you know, had run them badly. And like, so they were radioactive and you couldn't go into the part of the station because it was kind of radioactive and closed down and shut down. And so I ended up using that as sort of the catalyst for an Anne Frank story that I, I did that I love for, that I did for Malibu, but um, that came straight out of the Bible. It was nothing that was ever in the show. I mean, you'll see, there's a lot, you know, in these Bibles that just never find their way into the, into the show. Um, so, We know the backstory about the Bajorans and the Cardassians. It goes into a great deal of um, detail about that, Um, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, But Darren, if you will, uh, Deep Space Nine, um, there's a description here on um, page five where it talks about the station, if you can read that to us.
1: Well, uh, uh, on a given day, there might be anywhere from 10 to 300 visitors to DS9 as ships come through. Explorers, scientists, merchants, spies. Most of the vid- visitors stay on their ships, but there are special quarters for some guests. All of their ships need to do is stop at Space 9 to be outfitted and tuned with special impulse energy buffers to travel safely through the wormhole. Um, In the first episode, we learned that the ship's power sources are destructive to the ionic field that is home to the aliens who created the wormhole and live within it on a different time plane. During that experience, we are told how to travel through without harming them.
0: Yeah. And uh, it goes on to say one aspect of life on the space station hasn't changed since the departure of the Cardassians. During their tenure, they sold commercial concessions to the highest bidder to provide services to the mining crews. The result is the promenade. Unlike any space interior ever seen on Star Trek, it's somewhere between a Freeport and a flea market, bustling with aliens of all sorts when a ship's in. Intriguing and unusual characters at every bend. There's gambling and smuggling, alien grifters at work here, bars with sexual hollow suites upstairs, right next next to traditional ship stores, (laughs) a Bajoran temple, a kiosk serving live food. Part of the job of the Starfleet team will be to try and tame this honky-tonk atmosphere.
2: Uh, Honky-tonk.
0: (laughs) Honky-tonk. And, you know, so they had a little bit of Casablanca in here as well, uh, in the DNA of it. But uh, a lot of this...
2: Casablanca was very (laughs) (laughs) honky-tonk. Well,
0: (laughs) okay. Maybe not so much that, but the idea that, you know, it's a dangerous place and all this stuff is going on and all this illicit stuff. And, of course, that led to the idea of uh, a Ferengi. Now, what was so interesting at that point... Is the friend You were really, let's face it, pretty shitty characters, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: They were uh, they were defined by their wardrobe and makeup. And that was about it. Oh, right. and the fact that they're uh their females go around with no
2: clothes. Well, and mm-hmm. and they they are the first alien species that Captain Picard ever surrendered to unless you count Q. Unless you count Q, which you need to, so I guess Q so. was the first. Yeah, <laughs> well, and also Gene Gene
0: Ronberry described them as having exceptionally large genitalia, which,
2: which is, are contained in their ears.
0: Umlauch. which which is is, is, is is you know a, a very weird thing. No,
1: originally, originally he talked about them uh, having extremely large cod pieces. I don't think he mentioned anything about the uh, what what it carried within, but uh, he he used the word cod piece which is fascinating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gene, while well, we got you, I got to ask you a question. What did you think of Deep Space Nine? I know that, you know, um, there's a question as to whether Rick ever talked to you about it. He said he talked to you and you were very excited about it. Other people said that uh, you, you were very sick at the time and had no knowledge. I'm just curious, you know, now that you've had a chance to uh, watch it, uh, assuming you get um, uh, the DVD sent to you wherever you are. And, and residuals. Um, yeah, and residuals. Uh, wh- what was your uh, what was your feeling about Deep Space Nine?
1: Uh, it uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, uh, gun smoke a little bit, uh, and uh, uh, the old westerns. It's it's more of a western than Star Trek was, uh, but I uh, you know I'm sure it's great and lots of people love it and and they pay lots of money
2: to buy things from it. So I, I'm all for it. I <laughs> think <laughs> Enterprise is making a killing. So. Uh, you know, let's talk about the Ferengi for a second, right? So, it, it, an encounter at Farpoint, there was one mention of the Ferengi, right? 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 It's like you know, Captain
3: Ruther's yeah,
1: threatens, yeah, right. Right. Zorn threatens them saying, Uh, we may have to deal with someone like the Ferengi, right. <laughs> but <laughs> Picard
2: says. I hope they do find you as tasty as their last associates. Right. And it's like, yeah, that was kind yeah, of well, a cool a thing to say for something that never yeah, happens. Exactly. I'm like, oh, are they going to like, that sounds interesting. They sound scary. I can't wait to see the. Oh, oh show Jesus, me the Ferengi. Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. But no, no, that was not interesting at all. Well, I mean, and then
0: they get introduced in the last outpost. And I know, you know, Maurice, that was Maurice Hurley's first script. No one was happy with that. It was shot on planet hell. It looked like it was shot on planet hell. It looked um, like hell. It looks terrible. Um, and the performances are incredibly over the top. Arm- Armin, who was cast in that, who's so great, so great as um, um, Quark, was embarrassed by that performance and couldn't believe they ever brought it back. Um And it's just a a, a horrible, uh, uh, you know, a horrible episode.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's just, uh, it's offensive in our sight. It's, uh, yeah, we (laughs) can't believe it happened either. And yet, great rubber whips. Yeah, that's right, which is just never to be seen again. That's, you know what? That's what they were keeping under their codpiece. That's
0: probably the the whips.
2: The whips. Those are not,
0: (laughs) they were like Devo. They whipped it (laughs) good. They did. Okay. So, um, so, yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and really, you know, look, uh, what was what they did with the Ferengi and Deep Space Nine was nothing short of a miracle Absolutely. In, that, in that they made them. Um, so they gave they them, made such them a race. And made they them made them a society
3: and complexity. Yes.
0: Now, they overdid it. You know, I mean, Ira or whatever loved to do the comedies with the with the Ferengi. And those weren't goofy. always the most successful episodes. Mm-hmm. A, a little goofy. But, um, you know, uh, overall, again, uh, you know, the batting average was was pretty damn high. Uh, Now, when we talk about Bajor, the Bible talks about is a world we will visit most often because
2: of its proximity to the space station. Uh, Not really much. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there were some interesting stories down there, but mainly it was in the way that it affected stories elsewhere around the station. Right. And it informed like the conflict with the because the truth is you go down to the planet and what are you going to do there? Right. And all of the conflicts that they, that they needed to explore ended up on the station anyway, where it was yeah. in their faces and it directly created stakes yeah. as opposed to down on the planet where it just kind of doesn't. Yeah,
0: it, it describes the people as being d- deeply mystical On their planet, we will find monks who meditate and chant in chords. They are a people who believe in spiritual phenomena, are devoted to a non-secular philosophy that goes against the Federation's logical scientific way of life. Their religious leader, known as the Kai, is curious and insightful and develops a strong bond with our commander. The political situation remains precarious, and the only stabilizing influence is the Kai. Bajoran terrorists still populate camps on neighboring planets.
9: Emissary. I don't want this issue to divide my people.
6: Then I advise withdrawing your troops from Dakur.
9: I'm more than willing to do that. On one condition.
6: And what might that be?
9: I'd like you to provide a Federation security force to take their place.
6: You want me to bring in Shakar for you?
9: Such an act would do much to solidify the relations between the Federation and Bajor.
6: I wasn't aware that our relationship needed solidifying.
9: Nevertheless, this would be an opportunity for the Federation to show once again its friendship for Bajor.
6: I'm sorry, but Federation law prevents me from interfering in Bajoran internal affairs.
9: So you're refusing my request for aid.
6: I suppose I am.
9: If Bajor cannot depend on the Federation, we'll withdraw our application for membership.
6: That would be an unfortunate overreaction on your part. If I may say so, your entire response to this crisis has been an overreaction. By using the militia against your own people, you're risking civil war over a couple of soil reclamators.
9: I'm afraid you can't see what's really going on here. This isn't about soil reclamators. This is about the future of our society. When someone like Shakar can defy the law and escape punishment, we risk descending into anarchy and chaos. This is a test, a test by the prophets. They want to see if I'm worthy of the role they've given me as First Minister and Kai. I will not fail them. I will stop Shakar by any means necessary.
0: Interesting stuff. Yeah, it would have been
2: interesting if uh, that had actually been closer to uh, what they did, but it's not really. Well, I I would argue that it was, it, it simply wasn't as present as the Bible suggests that it was supposed to be. I mean, because it was definitely a thing and it was definitely interesting that spirituality was a big deal for those characters. Um, and that, you know, a religious leadership uh was I mean, look, obviously we'd seen that in Star Trek before, but like we hadn't really, I think, contended with it in the way that we did. Um, and it was also <laughs> it it, it kind of it, it led to, and we get to in the hands of the prophets, right? And you start seeing what happens with like Kaiopaka versus Kai Win. like all that stuff starts to become kind of interesting. Um, and and different. It was just one of those things that they had more room to to play with it. It just it just never became the centerpiece of the show. I think that the the main the main problem with that is that
1: they they were never very sure of what the Bajoran situation was supposed to be representing. Mm-hmm. Was it was it a uh, uh, you know, was it a different face put on the Irish and English uh, uh, conflict? You know, was mm-hmm. it uh, was it a uh, an example of the uh, Israeli and Palestinian uh, uh, struggle? You know, or was exactly? it South Africa? Or was it South Africa? South right. African, yeah, uh, uh, apartheid. And what was it actually representing? Because I
2: think at some points
1: it's a little mushy.
2: Yeah, and weirdly, I think they got closer in terms of the in terms of the, um, the way that it created conflict and generated stakes, right? Like, they got closer with the Maquis than they did with everything going on in Bajor, with the exception of stories that, like, that really kind of went to the heart of who our characters were, right? Like, we mentioned progress. Uh, we mentioned duet. Um, and those stories very much turn on the relationship between the Bajorians and the Cardassians and how Kira fits into that. Um, and, you know, even, you know, small moments that emerge. Like, the, I think the th- one of the things that Kira did as a character so effectively was you know, she, she was the repository for all of that, right? She made all of that personal and she made that, um, she made that accessible. So she could just pop out you know, with little jabs, little lines, like, or even just very big moments that kind of got to, this is what her experience was, and this is a thing that she's struggling with. Um, And it didn't have to be about the planet. It didn't have to be about, you know, uh, political crap.
0: Well, what this gave them was the best relationship with the series, which was uh, Gold Ducat with Cisco, Gold Ducat with Kira. Good day, Commander. Gold
5: Ducat. Excuse my presumption, but this was my office only two weeks ago. I'm not used to being on this side of the desk. I'll be honest with you, Commander.
8: I miss this office.
5: I was not happy to leave it.
8: Drop by any time you're feeling homesick.
5: You're very gracious. And allow me to assure you that we only want to be helpful in this difficult transition. You're far from the Federation fleet. Alone in this remote outpost with poor defense systems. Your Cardassian neighbors will be quick to respond to any problems you might have. We'll try to keep the dog off your lawn. So, tell me, what did you think of Kyropaka? I know you went to the surface to see her. I understand you brought back an orb. We thought we had all of them. Perhaps we could have an exchange of information. Pool our resources. I don't know anything about an orb. We will be in close proximity should you wish to reconsider my suggestion. In the meantime, I assume you have no objection to my men enjoying the hospitality of the promenade. Commander?
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't say Gul Dukat with... um, uh, um, with Louis Fletcher because I thought that stuff in the seventh season was pretty lame, but, yeah. uh, but um, the Gul Dukat stuff was amazing. And when he was at the height of his powers, I mean, Mark Alemo and uh, Avery were amazing as was, um, you know, Nana and, um, and Mark together. I mean, just f- f- phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, you know, such a sense of he was right, this nationalist, but also was completely convinced he was right. Yep. you know, and, and that Mike makes right. And that, you know, he just believed in Cardassia so strongly, you know, I'm not thrilled with a lot of the developments later on, you know, because I, I all that paw right stuff was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they really dropped the ball, but.
2: Yeah. A lot of that felt like it almost felt like, you know, when the, the Sopranos kind of overcorrected on um, like, Hey, you, you know, you, we've noticed that you really like Tony Soprano. You know what I mean? And yeah, you like, yeah. you're starting to think of these guys as the good guys. And so we just right. kind of need to pull you back a little bit. Like I, I it felt a little like that with Goldie That's right? a great analogy.
0: The same thing happened on Breaking Bad where mm-hmm. everyone was, you know, they love Bryan Cranston and, you know, they got really worried because they're like, this guy's the villain and people hate the wife. They should, they're supposed to hate you know, Brian Cranston. And, and so it was the same thing where they like said, we got to remind people that he's the bad guy. He's the one who knocks, but he's the guy who's the loathsome one. And it was the same thing with Dukat where people were really sympathetic to Dukat and they really said no, he, this guy's the lo-
2: loathsome one. You're supposed to hate this guy. You're not supposed to, you know, love Gul Dukat. You no, know, the problem they run into. And because number one, they keep bringing him back. And they, they made the terrible mistake, he said facetiously, uh, of, of making him, uh, giving him dimension, mm. right? And the second you do that, the second you start to see scenes from his point of view, you are inviting the audience to see the world through his eyes and tell the audience like, this is your center of good in this scene, right? Like, and it's a weird thing that happens to audiences and they can't help it, right? And the more that you, I, I think, even as writers, we know this. It, the more you stack dimension onto characters, the the more difficult it becomes to hate them. And you know, it wasn't. I don't. I don't think that they needed to give Ducat like a fluffy bunny to like to hold on to. It's like now I guess he's all perfectly good. But I think the 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 overcorrection um, was just that. It was like they like they totally steered the wrong direction. Well, like, I mean, look. Skit.
0: They, they they wrote him initially as you know, Eamon Goth. You know, right. uh, you know as, as as you know, sort of venal Nazi, and and then they they give him a daughter, and totally right. humanize him, you know, right. and 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 what they did with Casey Biggs, you could never amazing. do that because that was amazing. You could never do that with Gul because he's too far gone. He's done too many horrible things. Right. Um, but you're right. I think the you know the overcorrection, and then you know. Again, that whole last season, yeah, where, where he's possessed with the paw race and, you know, it turns human for a while because he clearly doesn't want to wear the prosthetics anymore. You know, it's just like that that's, right. that stuff was all a big mess. Right. Um, but OK, so we have a bunch of characters, which I think really interesting is when we get to the recurring characters, who they think are going to be the recurring characters. Now, I'm just going to read a little bit about Cisco because some of this doesn't really... Jive with what we would find later on. A human Starfleet commander with a 12 year old son, his gentle, strong, soft spoken demeanor belies a temper that he's constantly trying to control. And when he loses it, he gets furious with himself. He's a man of action who gets impatient with too much talk. But as he's become more mature, he's learned to stop and think twice before losing control. He has a weakness for baseball. Go figure. Michael Piller, huge baseball fan, a sport that died out in the 22nd century. Now, this is funny. He frequently goes into the Hollow Suite to have a catch and a chat with one of his legendary ballplayer heroes. So, in Next Generation, you had a um, uh, um, uh, cameo from uh, Hawking. I'm surprised they didn't get, like, uh, you know, Tom Seaver to do a cameo on Team uh, uh, Space Nine. Johnny Pench. So, Johnny Pench, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, it, then it goes on to explain. You know, his wife dying in the Battle of Picard and Picard and everything, which one of the great teasers introductions to a character, the Battle of Wolf 359, you know, seeing it in a um, sort of Rashomon way from his perspective, losing his wife, having to uh, evacuate the ship. Mm -hmm. Incredibly impactful. And I I think people uh, don't realize because Next Generation was not a particularly expensive show. Um, the, the pilot for Deep Space Nine was exponentially more expensive yeah. uh, than, and, and it looks it. That pilot looks expensive. And of course they were paying for it the rest of the season, which is why most of first season is very small and takes place on the station and small character stories because they had spent a fortune on the pilot, which they now you know had to amortize across the season.
1: Yeah.
8: Come. Commander. Yes, please, come in. Welcome to Bajor. It's been a long time, Captain. We met before. Yes, sir. You met in battle. I was on the Saratoga at War 359. I assume that you have been briefed on the events leading to the Cardassian withdrawal? Yes, sir. I understand they spent the last half century robbing the planet of every valuable resource before abandoning it. They've left the Bajorans without a means of being self-sustaining. The relief efforts we've been coordinating are barely adequate. I... I've come to know the Bajorans. I'm a strong proponent for their entry into the Federation. Is it going to happen? Not easily. Ruling parties are at each other's throats. Factions that were united against the Cardassians have resumed old conflicts. Sounds like they're not ready. Your job is to do everything, short of violating the prime directive to make sure that they are. I have been made aware by Starfleet of your objections to this assignment. I'm, I would have thought that after three years spent at the Utopia Planitia Yards, that you would be ready for a change. I have a son that I'm raising a lone captain. This is not the ideal environment. Unfortunately, as Starfleet officers, we do not always have the luxury to serve in an ideal environment.
6: I realize that, sir. And I'm investigating the possibility of returning to Earth for civilian service.
8: And perhaps Starfleet Command should be considering a replacement for you. That's probably a good idea. I'll look into it. In the meantime, however... In the meantime, I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir. Dismissed.
1: And uh, it it took them a while to get out of that to uh, pay pay all the uh, pay all the the uh, sets down and uh, and finally you know sort of be able to have a little more freedom in storytelling and open it up a little bit more.
0: Yeah, Michael talks about the fact also that they made a conscious decision after the big epic uh, 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 premiere to then do these smaller character stories where they could really oh in and out burger nice, Darren. They could, um, they could, uh, they, you're being disloyal to our Shake Shack, but they, um, uh, they, they, they would do these smaller character stories. So you get to know the characters that it was very, he says it was very intentional and he admits it was a mistake because people thought that, again, this was it reaffirmed the idea that people had that this was a show that didn't go anywhere.
2: Right. Right. No, it's right. It, right yeah. Definitely. Um but when they did go places, sometimes in that first season, it was cool. Um, but they didn't go far. That was the thing. And I think also it was limited by, um, and obviously we saw a correction to that, which was not an overcorrection, but it, a, a very needed correction. There's no mention in this Bible of the Defiant, which is a tough little ship. Uh, it's just the runabouts. And the truth of the matter is the, the runabouts weren't, just weren't that interesting a way to get from place to place through the wormhole. You didn't want to see a runabout in orbit of a planet so your crew could beam down to it. It just it just wasn't compelling. Um, and I think also like, you know, the it just seemed that those sets just looked very difficult to shoot to me. You know, like it just, everybody felt Cramped and well, like, you know,
0: that was one of the reasons. What was one of the impetuses for the Define? It wasn't just from a story perspective, giving them the ability to, um, uh, you know, go on, you know, make it more like next gen, you know, giving them a mm-hmm. starship that could kick ass. It was also because they hated the runabout sets, they were very hard to shoot and they were small and you couldn't do a lot interesting and they weren't particularly great sets.
2: Yes. Um, and it just, you know, look, it's just you, you can't really look, you can't fault the the design in the sense that like everything is just kind of felt like like next generation in that way and in a way it was like kind of bringing it was a way of kind of having that starfleet aesthetic right in deep space nine but it just it just felt maybe it's just because you know we spent from the original series thinking of shuttlecraft is just the thing that sometimes gets you from place to place you know or, what I mean? malfunctions. It, or malfunctions <laughs> yeah. or it screws you at the wrong time but it's not like the thing that you want to spend an entire episode on. Yeah.
0: Darren, you want to tell us about Major Kira? Sure, I'll tell you about Major
1: Kira.
2: Tell us everything.
1: Major Kira is a former major in the Bajoran underground. Kira is now an outspoken critic of the provisional government. Having fought for freedom all her life, it has angered her to see the older leaders throw it away through their petty dissensions. She's been trying without success to reach the Kai herself to air her grievances. It's very possible that she was sent by the government to be the Bajoran administrator at the station, simply to get her outspoken voice out of earshot. Uh, at, yeah, first, I... at first, Kira is not a supporter of Federation involvement at Space 9 preferring Bajor to remain independent of all outside interests as the representative of the Bajorans on board the space station. She has no confidence in Cisco when he arrives. In fact, she's working in his office when he gets there
4: ever serve with any bajoran women no why i was just wondering sir they
7: become meaningless i just don't agree kira you are throwing it all away all of you you're being a fool well then don't ask my opinion next time yes
6: i'm benjamin cisco
7: i suppose you want the office
6: well i thought i'd say hello first and then take the office. But we could do it in any order you'd like. Hello. Is something bothering you, Major?
7: You don't want to ask me that, Commander. Why not? Because I have the bad habit of telling the truth, even when people don't want to hear it.
6: Perhaps I want to hear it.
7: I don't believe the Federation has any business being here.
6: The provisional government disagrees with you.
7: The provisional government and I don't agree on a lot of things, which is probably why they sent me to this godforsaken place. I have been fighting for Bajoran independence since I was old enough to pick up a phaser. We finally drive the Cardassians out, and what do our new leaders do? They call up the Federation and invite them right in.
6: The Federation is only here to help, help
7: us. Yes, I know. The Cardassians said the same thing 60 years ago.
6: Major. When I was ordered here, I requested a Bajoran national as my first officer. It made sense. It still does. At least to me. Now, you and I are going to have to find some way to...
4: Yes, Major?
7: Odo, are you reading something at A14?
4: My security array has been down for two hours. I'll meet you there.
7: We've been having a lot of break-ins lately. No need for you to come along, Commander.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because, um, you know, on Next Gen, the biggest criticism was Roddenberry's box, this idea that there could be no conflict and how difficult it was to write. It was something that was reaffirmed and perhaps even reinvented by Michael Piller. Um, So it's interesting that there was this real effort you see to just try and create conflict everywhere um, with all the character relationships. You know, everything was about conflict, conflict, and creating a template for situations that would offer conflict and, and be the antidote to Roddenberry's box. Uh, but again, without being the antithesis of, of what Roddenberry wants, this is very much in the spirit, I think, of the original Star Trek. People have disagreements, of, but they're all yeah. of good conscience. right? Yeah. Yeah, they're inherently moral people, but they disagree about the path to getting where they need to go. That's right. And they're not moral narcissists,
2: right? Who, who kind of behave as though that they're their their beliefs make them good Um, and that the beliefs of somebody else makes that person bad, right? Which is kind of inherent to to Star Trek. So it was okay to have these people in conflict um, because we weren't operating from the assumption that being different equals being wrong equals being bad, right? It was just, and the fact that it was brought into the crew was very important, I think, and very different. And I think to this day makes Deep Space Nine very different from any other Star Trek show, simply because it was like this this hodgepodge. When I say crew, I also include Odo. I include Quark, you know, um, all of the characters that we kind of think of as, as part of that cast and more characters who are not in this Bible. Garrick, for example, who's a hugely important character there's not a mention of him in here unless yeah. I missed it someplace. No, no,
0: we'll we'll get to that. We'll get okay. to that. But I wanna I wanna go through the main cast before we get to this recurring cast, because you're right. Sure. So many omissions, so many people who'd become, you know, the the rock stars of the show, the the, the pillars, if you the, will, of that hold up the 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 show are not even mentioned. You know, here we have Dax. Uh, they acknowledge the fact that it's a uh, she's a trill, a joint species first encountered in the host. Then they go on to explain a trill is comprised of two separate but interdependent entities, a host and a symbiont. The host provides a humanoid body. The symbiont is an in, uh, invertebrate, androgynous life form that lives within the host. You and Dr. Bashir go ahead. I'm afraid I have to put Lieutenant Dax to work right away. Jed Zia. Oh. Oh.
5: Maybe we could get together later for dinner. Or, 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 or a drink.
7: I'd be delighted.
6: He's a little young for you, isn't he? He's
9: 27,
6: I'm 28. hundred, twenty-eight, maybe. Did you tell him about that slug inside of you?
9: Yes, Benjamin, he knows I'm a trill. He finds it fascinating. He's never met a joint species
8: before. Oh, I, I wonder if he'd been as fascinated if you still looked the way you did the last time I saw you.
9: Perhaps not.
0: This is going to take some getting used to.
9: Don't be ridiculous, I'm still the same old Dax
0: more or less. So um, it goes into explain Trill. Again, a lot to understand here. Um, But, you know, the host was such a great concept. Um, And the fact that they chose to um, revisit the species, I think, was very smart. Mm -hmm. And the idea that they would have a character who knew Cisco, but as a different person, and now was a different body. So they had this shared past, but at the same time, you know, the relationship that he had with Curzon, uh, you know, is fundamentally changed because now um, he's no longer an old man. He's this beautiful young woman. I mean, I mean, here this is was not played, thankfully. Her sexually appealing new form will create a certain tension between her and Cisco, which they will both resist. Now, that's obviously something that was never played. It yeah. was it never. I mean, it, 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 and and to their credit, I don't know if this was the actors not playing that or if it was just never written that way, thank God. Because what's right. so great is Cisco just is so accepting of her, you know, yeah. and, and, and just because they, you know, having worked with Trills, they would accept this as a normal thing. You know, they would be used to this, you know, and um, I think that they, they would have, you know, really dated the show and diminished the show. And I mean, there's a lot of people now look at the host and they say, wow, Beverly couldn't accept this Guy she was in love with because now the trill is in the form of a woman, you know, and is that homophobic? It's not really because she's basically saying it's just like all these changes are freaking her out. So, um, but it, you could argue that that you know kind of dates the show a little bit. Like in the twenty, if they're so perfect in the twenty fourth century, you know, wouldn't you know what constitutes the the soul of this person be what she's in love with and not necessarily the way they
2: appear, you could, you know, you could argue that. I mean, I think that the host is still a pretty good episode. Um, well, in the in the context of this, I think to me, I, I think it was probably a combination of things, right? It's like number one, the first time you put the words old man in his right, mouth right. and you ask him to play that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there goes and any idea of, of uh, tension. Exactly. It's all gone. And then you start to see the dailies and you go, oh, yeah. Okay. I understand what that relationship is, and yes. it's not the relationship that we we thought that was gonna be, because there's just no way to make that manifest. Right. Right. It just. It just. I. I can't even get my head around it. You just. There's just an instinctive thing I think that happens once you start to understand that chemistry, and like once you put words in those actors' mouths, like those yeah. relationships begin to set. Totally.
0: So
1: I, I. Unless, unless Cisco had had a previous physical relationship
0: with the old man uh, i think in the early 90s too you know every show you know of the era was kind of the will they or won't they you know you had right. che- cheers you know with with sam and diane and later sam and Savick and then you had and moonlighting i was going to say moonlighting yeah. uh you know with david addison and maddie so I think it was just such a staple of that storytelling that kind of will they or won't they, that it just seemed like, Oh, these are your leads. So it's a will they or won't they? And you can't do it with um, Kira. So it just, they defaulted to this kind of trope and thankfully they never did it because it would have been a a huge, um, it would have been a huge mistake, obviously. And I I think also Avery was very adamant about what he would or wouldn't do and it, you know it also could be you know Avery saying like this is not something that i'm going to do um you know Avery had a lot of clout on that show and you know unfortunately one of the things that they really wanted to do because he was at the time people who watch it now don't realize he was a big not a big star but well known from being in the spencer for hire right. show with hawk. robert Urich. and then he was on a short-lived spinoff called a man called hawk hawk was this badass Bald, kick-ass guy, and they did not want him to be Hawk. They didn't want people to have, you know, so that's why he didn't have the goatee and he didn't have the shaved head because that's what Hawk had. That's and like they, casting,
1: and then, casting
2: Samuel L. Jackson and saying, you know, just can relax. you be? Don't right. be loud, you know, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just what? Yeah, exactly. Because the second he became Hawk, yeah, he yeah. was better. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's when he finds the role. Yeah. you know it's like instead he's so uncomfortable this first couple years playing something he isn't and then finally they, they let Avery be Avery and he's great
6: aggressive adversarial competition for fun it's a game that Jake and I play on the holodeck it's called baseball
8: baseball what is this
6: I was afraid you'd ask that I throw this ball to you and this other player stands between us with a bat a stick and he and he tries to hit the ball in between these two white lines the rules aren't important what's important is it's linear every time i throw this ball a hundred different things can happen in a game he might swing and miss he might hit it the point is you never know you try to anticipate set a strategy for all the possibilities as best you can but in the end it comes down to throwing one pitch after another and seeing what happens with each new consequence the game begins to take shape
9: And you have no idea what that shape
6: is until it is completed. That's right. In fact, the game wouldn't be worth playing if we knew what was going to happen.
4: You value your ignorance of what is to come?
6: That may be the most important thing to understand about humans. It is the unknown that defines our existence. We are constantly searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers. We explore our lives day by day. And we explore the galaxy, trying to expand the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I am here. Not to conquer you with weapons or with ideas.
0: But to coexist and learn. You know, and it just transforms that character. Because the the thing was, they were writing around him. You know, thank yeah. God they had this ensemble because Cisco wasn't that interesting. Yeah. Then he becomes, you know, sort of season four is where he's transformed. And also having Michael to play against, yes. you know, where he can be more aggressive because Michael can take it as a Klingon and right. having all these Klingons Michael around. Norm, yes. he, yeah, he's so great. He's so great. Um, Odo, Ashley, if you can tell I, us a little bit about... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dan.
1: I, I I was just saying, Ashley, just read the first paragraph of this because... I would love if they had just ended with this first paragraph.
2: <laughs> the, the very first paragraph? Yes.
1: Okay. Of, of the Odo description
2: alien male, middle aged curmudgeon, and a shapeshifter. In his natural state, he is a gelatinous liquid. Just Duh. like you, Ashley. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. We don't need to know anything more. <laughs>
4: This is a security matter. I'm in charge of security. Security here on the
7: station. I cannot justify taking you into this wormhole. We have no idea what we're dealing with in there. It could be possible.
8: I was found in the Denorius belt. I don't know where I came from. No idea if there are any others like me. All my life I've been forced to pass myself off as one of you, always wondering who I really am. Well, the answers to a lot of my questions may be somewhere on the other side of that wormhole.
5: You coming?
0: No, no, and then it goes into, um, you know, his backstory which at the time they knew nothing about the right. founders or any of that right. We all came much later. And hopefully, mm-hmm. like you said, maybe we'll get um, Robert on the show and we can talk about the creation of the Dominion. Um, yeah. But I mean, I love this description. At first, he was sort of an elephant man, a yeah. source <laughs> of curiosity and humor as he turned himself into a chair or a pencil. More like what? a jellyfish. <laughs> did they
2: have pencils in the twenty fourth century? I know. Did I Cardassians did have pencils? Did the did the Cardassian pencils have like little ridges along them?
0: One of us. One of us. They I mean, have it's
1: like, pencil necks.
0: Yeah. 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 And uh, and and uh, he's at the adopted child syndrome of searching for his own personal identity, inherent insecurity. What better metaphor could there be for an identity crisis than a shapeshifter? Now, this was obviously their attempt. To do Spock data. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we got right. Spock, and then data was our Spock on next generation. Who's gonna be our data on this? Who's well, that it's, gonna Spock? Be a shape- it's gonna be Maya, the shape changing alien, who's in search of their identity, you know? And uh, and that was gonna be um, And the great thing be, is we uh... can have
1: a new actor play him every week.
2: <laughs> Who are you? Oh, I'm Odo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, it would be easy to replace him if he got sick of his crap. Exactly. Sorry, I lost you there. Oh, welcome okay. back, Mark. I'm well, back. He's I'm back. back. Oh.
1: <laughs> he's having all sorts of problems
2: with his headphones, and now he's frozen. He is. Oh, well. Frozen and deaf. Uh,
1: so
3: anyway,
2: let's talk I, about...
1: I, it. I like this paragraph. He can't quite get it right, this humanoid shape. Although he <laughs> continues to try... So he looks a little like fools unfinished in a way he's been working on it a long time. Someone might ask him, why don't you take on the form of a younger man? His answer. I would, if I could, I would, I would take on all sorts of younger
2: men. <laughs> what? No what? way. That's not what, what he meant. Uh, no. Um, yeah. Look, I'm a little worried about <laughs> what's happening in the other frame here, but um, Nope. He'll be back. And He'll be back. um, Yeah, damn right.
1: uh, So we have down here, we talked about Quark and the Ferengis a little bit, but we also have next here, Dr. Julian Amoros. Amoros. Uh, Yeah. Human male, uh, uh, mid-20s, rank of lieutenant commander, may have an accent depending on casting
2: may have an accent
1: may. i mean he may he, he may
2: not he may be the nephew
1: of oh. someone that we know from film and uh yeah of caligula uh, maybe <laughs> the nephew of caligula right uh well, mark's, mark's mark's microphone mark's is here. off
2: so we can't hear him mark is muted tonight <laughs> next on the inglorious Mark
1: Golden.
2: okay we, there he is we can't hear you jim Boost <laughs>
1: your matter game we need more signal
2: who's, who's stealing Genesis
0: <laughs> um, okay so any idea I I forget why they, oh they call, they changed to Bashir because they cast Sadiq uh, El-Fadil right because Julian Amoros was not yeah. uh, didn't seem yeah
1: and it's not but, a good name anyway it's
0: no really it's not. really not
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not a good name at all
0: I mean I love this Uh, Jillian is the antithesis of Kira who's streetwise, sadder, but wiser and cynical. She's like Kojak. She gets impatient with someone (laughs) who think he knows it all, but in fact doesn't. In time she will come to realize that when it comes to medicine, he really does know it all. Sometimes she's a little tough on him, and Cisco has to pull her back. I mean, thank God they, you know, moved away from all this. Dax is very protective of Julian. She's seen a lot like him, sees herself as a mother figure. Although she appears to be about the same age, yeah. Julian, like so many other men on board, has a crush on Dax.
7: I'm afraid we've had some security problems. Looks like Looters got in here.
9: This will be perfect.
5: Real frontier medicine.
7: Frontier medicine?
5: Major, I had my choice of any job in the fleet. Did you? I didn't want some cushy job or a research grant. I wanted this. The farthest reaches of the galaxy. One of the most remote outposts available. This is where the adventure is. This is where heroes are made. Right here. In the wilderness.
7: This wilderness is my home. Cardassians well, left behind a lot of injured people, doctor. You can make yourself useful by bringing your Federation medicine to the natives. Oh, you'll find them a friendly,
2: simple folk. You know so... what? That all of that—that that stuff with Dax—played right? Except it was more um, Julian, very cl- sheer, very clearly had a crush on her. Um, right. And she did, I said, I wouldn't say that she mothered him. It was like, she leaned into the old man of it all. Yeah. Right. Totally. She actually became the Spock of the right. show in so many ways. <laughs> um, and that was just always an interesting dynamic. It was like, she was always kind of looking out for him and kind of taking care of him and kind of tolerating his puppy dog bull crap and kind of helping him along until he kind of reached that point where he just, he evolved into a a grown ass man, you know, and it was, and the thing is, it wasn't, it felt like it was an actual evolution versus overnight. They just decided to start writing him differently. Um, It, it, I mean, it was actually like to, uh, to, to Sid's credit that, that uh, that he played that way into the writer's credit that he played that way. But- well, you got to remember the fans really didn't like that character.
3: Yeah. And
0: it was very, they knew that not that they listened to the fans, but um, it was definitely a sense that this character was not working and they knew they had a really good actor and they knew they had to make a course correction. I mean, obviously they were sensitive to a lot of this because they made a lot of course corrections, obviously changing the credits, um, you know, trying to, you know, adding the defiant, bringing wharf over. um there was you know a lot of pressure from the studio they wanted next generation type numbers and uh it premiered strongly but you know the, the there was constant uh um deterioration in the ratings right yeah. there was erosion from from day one you
2: know? although if it got the ratings it got they'd had them today right oh my god <laughs> highest rated show
0: on television what
3: are you talking about yeah
0: but
2: you could say that about a lot of things yeah that's very true you know I
0: mean You know, um, so here are the recurring characters. Let's talk about recurring characters. So Jake Sisko obviously, we've talked about him and how what 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 a fresh breath of fresh air he was compared to Boxy or or Wes Crusher. You know, he was
2: (laughs) Boxy. (laughs) 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 You know, he had a muffet. It was (laughs) so
0: that was cool. Well, you know, and and he had Aaron Eisenberg as as a Nog, who who who's not mentioned here, who's also yes, he is. You know. Oh, is he okay? Yeah, he, he out how how wonderful was Aaron Eisenberg's nod? What a, amazing, what a what a terrific performance, and what a great arc for him. Just yeah. just tremendous, tremendous. Um, uh, I, I mean, they, they say this about Jake: boy has no technical expertise at all. He struggles with his homework, but is dedicated to doing his best. Right. So there you go. So then another recurring was Keiko O'Brien, which yep, turned I out to it. be uh, true. Um, and and this was pretty accurate. She's not entirely happy on Deep Space Nine. Um, but here's the one that that cracks me up the most. Uh huh. Loxana. Troy, Troy. The anti mame of the galaxy. Right. As a as a recurring character. Yeah. Um, and 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 she forms a romantic attachment to Odo and finds reasons to keep coming back. He tries to discourage her. Ma'am, I turn into a
2: liquid at night. Loxana, I can swim. Oh geez. Now That's here's creepy. It really is, except for one. Well, it's it is no matter what. There's no except. It just is. However, we can't say that it didn't happen because when she did show up on the station, she did pursue Odo. And it was always a little weird. Well, look, and I creepy.
0: think I think this was honestly political.
3: Right. I you think
0: I think you know they. Ah uh, knew Roddenberry was very ill and was not going to give the show his blessing, and they wanted to have no problem with the Rodden. Not that the Roddenberry estate could stop them from doing the no. show, right. um. But but they. But he
3: could
1: he could operate the uh, the the public uh, thermometer.
0: Yeah, and they wanted to win her over, and by extension, him if he got better yeah. um, to the show. So how do you do that? You give Major Barrett a role, which yep. has been going on since
2: time immemorial. Except for the original series,
0: well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's been going on since then. I mean, you know, for, you know. Oh, she. The network wants her out of the cage. Fine, I'll create a new role. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, this is very interesting that this she was the second recurring character listed. Now, of course, they also thought they would be bringing over a lot more people from Deep Space Nine. They thought Q would be a regular staple of Deep Space Nine from from Next Gen. Uh, the, the, they realized that the relationship with Cisco was not the same as with Picard and was not going to work.
2: Right. The chemistry just was not there. He wasn't the right character for the show. It didn't make sense. Right.
3: He didn't you fit. Know,
0: he didn't fit. And it's the same thing with Troy. Um, didn't really fit that show. So then we have Nog, um, which, which we, we talked about, which is great. Um, and uh, I love this whole idea that they, what they really focus on here is this is a Ferengi who works for Cork. Um, uh, Oh, wait. One of the other Ferengi Ferengi who works for Cork has a teenage son. They don't even name Rom by name. He's that insignificant. Uh, He will become friends with the commander's son. Nog is Peck's bad boy, the kind of kid our parents didn't want us to
2: associate with. (laughs) Okay. But, But isn't it great that Nog evolves... Right into uh, but he evolves into uh, right exactly. Uh, he becomes uh, a starfleet uh, officer. Uh, uh, he uh, like uh, he goes uh. to war. He like loses a limb. It's like he goes. To, it's amazing, honestly. Well, that siege of
0: AR uh, fifteen is spectacular. Yeah. Um, and that whole when he and then it's only a paper moon, and when he's wrestling with the loss of his um leg, is that, that's some of the, some 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 really great stuff. Yeah. Um, so now here's Gold Dukat. Big description. Forties male. okay sounds like a breakdown um (laughs) a deceptively amiable cardassian commander who represents the continuing threat to our people the militant empire whose borders are only a short distance away from bajor and deep space nine so okay oh he he used to be the former landlord of the space station
2: right he would charge them every every few episodes he would show up and charge rent (laughs) rent? (laughs)
0: um that's right and then the last is Kaiopaka and i have to say um the actress who played kaya could have been one of the worst actors ever cast in star trek i thought she was terrible just terrible i was not a fan of her performance um and then you know you replaced her with kai Wynn, played by louise fletcher that is extraordinary
2: yeah totally and then there was kai encore wait
1: no and then there was
2: uh kyle Pectay. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I, I think they, the fact that they didn't do as much with the uh, Kyle Paca must realize they must have realized that she wasn't the, was the greatest. not
2: working. And yeah, it was I mean, like, this is crazy. Who are we going to replace? This is crazy. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Louise Fletcher. Go for it. Kai Ratchet. This. Yeah. The Kai
0: seems to have an awareness on a higher plane of consciousness. Knows things she cannot possibly know. Although our people do not accept her powers at face value, we cannot always explain them either. She speaks in vague, mystical, and indirect language, forcing the listener to seek her meaning. I think they did a good job of walking the line, at least till the end of the spiritual versus, you know, um, science. You know, where, where, you know, the orbs, well, maybe it's not religious, maybe it's science, the wormhole aliens that they worship as you know deities are really aliens. So it's um, I thought they did a good job of, of walking the line and keeping it secular, even while dealing with more spiritual and religious issues.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, 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 they did. So
1: it's it's surprisingly. I mean, this is one of the the least uh, specific Bibles that we've talked about. Yeah. It it really leaves it wide open. I mean, it gives some delineation of the characters, but it really doesn't give a hint as to what the potential of the show is, actually. No,
2: no, it doesn't. Now, in fairness, they're also not padding it out with a bunch of stuff because they're gonna sell it through Lincoln Enterprises. <laughs> <laughs> well, I right? like, think... they're not explaining all the tech to us and like giving us well, all that. But I also
0: think you gotta look at the genesis of this. Basically, Brandon Tartikoff, who's running Paramount, who used to who was the golden boy at NBC for many years, uh-huh. he comes to them and says, "I want to do a spinoff." The
3: right. show
0: is hugely successful, um, and now's the time to do a spinoff. And you know, if you believe what Rick and Michael said at the time, they're like they were very reluctant because they didn't want to cannibalize the you know the audience, and they didn't know if, if uh, the audience would would uh, you know sustain for two shows. Right. I'm not sure that they fought it that much because. Uh, there's a lot of money in a second show. Um, and this one they would create. So there's even more money in it. Um, but they so, were right
1: at the time. I mean, I, I mean, uh, uh was right. Tarnikoff uh, was right.
0: It was, it was a, because it'd never a be a better time. time.
1: It was mm-hmm. the perfect time for this. Yeah. Yeah. And the popularity of Star Trek and Star Trek related shows was never bigger.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Ever. Absolutely. Never was, never will be. And, um, and so uh, they come up with, uh, you know, this kind of fairly radical idea at the time, you know, because you got to look, the you know, the only three star shows that exist, the Enterprise with the original crew, the Enterprise in animation, the Enterprise 70 years later.
2: So they come up with this idea of a space station, pretty radical. What if there's no Enterprise and what if there's no characters that we truly recognize? I mean, aside from some ancillary characters like Chief O'Brien, right? It's just, there was you no. Know, it's guarantee. like having Mr. Kyle as a starring character on a show. Why right? wouldn't you have Mr. Kyle as a starring oh. character on a show?
0: There right? was and no they- guarantee it would work, and they've never tried anything like it again. Because yeah. if you look at the subsequent series, Voyager, we're on yeah. a ship. Enterprise, we're on the Enterprise again. Yeah. You know, and then there were shows after that too that also are on a ship, right? Yeah. I mean, so those the subsequent, the more recent iterations are all on ships as well. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting because really, Deep Space Nine is the outlier.
1: Yeah, it was. It was a bold experiment. The bold
0: it, experiment. They boldly Excelsior. went. <laughs> they boldly went. Defiantly. Yeah, um, they, they <laughs> did, and and more and more as they went on, because look, this is a whole nother conversation. The more the ratings went down, and the more shit they got, the more, um, Ira Bear and his hardy band of brothers would, you know, would fight against the power and push it in directions that you never thought Star Trek would ever go or could go. Um, totally. Serializ- it,
2: it's serialization. Kind of, it's 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 counterintuitive in a way, right? Because their numbers are going down and Ira just became more powerful. How does that happen? <laughs> that you're like that your numbers are going down and the showrunners like, you know what? Uh-huh. It happens when the studio no longer cares about the show. You know what? Benign neglect. Right, yeah. right. It's but, it's uh, and also like there's Voyager for them to focus their fire yeah. on. Well, and- that
0: was what that was what saved them. Yeah. Voyager came along and everyone put the, you know, the eye of Sauron, as I said, <laughs> moved and was on Voyager. So the studio is a, the studio is is focused on Voyager. Then also the network because they were launching UPN. Right. Um, and then um, also, you know, Rick Berman's eye is on Voyager. And even, you know, Michael Piller, it leaves to, to work on Voyager. So it leaves behind Ira Bear, crazy Ira Bear yeah. with his, with his, uh, you know, his writer's room of wild and crazy guys. Yep. and crazy, uh, crazy Ira, he's turning to pork. <laughs> 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 and, 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 you know, left to their own devices, they do something really original and cool. And, um, um, you know, the, the, Push the envelope of what Star Trek is totally. But there's there's no There's no indication of that reading this Bible Is there? No, no my not at all. Not a clue
2: no. I mean, you see the You don't see the You see the outlines of the characters And you see the outlines of the conflicts And in some ways This Bible feels more to me Like the core of what The show was than the Next Generation Bible did
3: mm.
2: um, But at the same time it's, it's like the Bible is like the understatement of the century in terms of what the show could be because like so much of the interesting crap, like just simply doesn't exist here. Right. And, you know, one of the other things that was special about Deep Space Nine and different from the other shows, any of the other shows, is that it kept accreting characters, right? Right who would not just recur, but recur bigly. Not like, hey, and you now it's a very special episode where Garrick comes back aboard the station. It's not like Charo visiting the love boat. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, he's always there, unfortunately. man. Unfortunately, unfortunately, right? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's, that what episode we got back didn't live long, fortunately. Coochie, coochie. You know, it's just... It's just different. And there's nothing in this Bible that suggests that that's possible. Although everything in the Bible suggests that that could happen. You just need to have the right people um, at the top creatively
0: pushing that forward. And what would you say? There are about 10, like, all awesome recurring characters. Let's see. That aren't mentioned. So Rom, played by Mm -hmm. Max Kredencik. Lita, played by Chase Masterson, Uh who's wonderful. Um, There is, um, obviously, Garrick. Uh, there is uh, Casey Biggs playing Damar. Right. Yeah, then there would be... um Martok. Jeffrey Combs is 16 characters. Yes. Uh, M- Martok. J.G. Hurtzler. Uh, Gowron. Yep. Um, who else? Um, I-, I feel like the dad um, played by Brock Pears. Oh, Peters, yeah. Right. Uh, 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 Cisco's dad. Um, There's uh, uh, Ambassador Kreplock.
3: Oh, no, ooh. wait. That's <laughs> that's not a...
0: Ambassador Kra- Kreplock? Preplasoup? soup? Yes. Ambassador Wonton? Yes. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, there were a couple of Romulans, but they never really resonated that much.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, I know Adrian Barbeau played a Romulan, and there are a couple other Romulans, but they just never... That's a whole show we've talked about. They never really nailed the Romulans very well. Um, who else? I feel like we're missing a couple. Oh, I, I know. Oh, ours. the Grand Nagus. The Grand yep. Nagus. Wally Shawn. Wally oh, Shawn. Yeah. Um, um. Oh, uh, a, a Brunt. Uh, Brunt Jeffrey FCA. Combs. That's Jeffrey yeah. Combs,
2: right? Yeah. 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 Um, Wayun, um, like, uh, of course, that was also Jeffrey Combs. Like Jeffrey yeah. Combs is like starring Jeffrey Combs as Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. They weren't really
0: recurring Gem Hadar though. They were cannon fodder. So I mean, Clarence Williams III was amazing, but they they didn't really bring back the Gem Hadar.
2: Right. It was just a little tough to bring back the hadar yeah, And they it? did the the one episode that was like, it was such an interesting little exercise, right? Where it's like, I can't remember what, for some reason I'm blanking on the title of the episode. Um, but they find the young Hadar and they think they can raise the young Jem'Hadar oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah, like, yeah. to be like, what if you could make them nice? Like, everybody else becomes nice in Star Trek. If only they're, nope. <laughs> they oh. pretty much grow up to be goddamn killing machines and that's what they do. But at the same time, they were able to do things in episodes like, you know, Rocks and Shoals, right? Where you go. So great. You're interesting. They they always had depth. Like there was no such thing as like, I mean, very rarely did you encounter somebody or, you know, something on that show that, that didn't have layers behind it. And that, I mean, you got to give that credit to, to Ira. And the fact that he got away with it again, just amazing. Totally. And Paul Dooley. as, yeah. uh, as, as And as and Yeah. Yeah, who was the mentor to Garrick. Right. Diaz cast and probable cause. What an incredible two-parter that was. With yeah. Him. Yeah. 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 And I feel like
0: we're still probably met. oh, and then there was uh, the love interest for um uh Kira. I forget uh, Kai um, um he wasn't Kai, he was one of the he was Vedic, uh Vedic Vedic, Vedic Baral. Vedic, Baral. Vedic, Baral. Vedic, Baral, Vedic, Vedic Baral, right. Um, and then Frank Langella. Yeah, my oh, God. Wow. I mean, it was amazing.
2: I mean, could you play Frank Langella doing, doing Stroger? The the man sure. who played Skeletor and the, the master man who doesn't say no to anything? No, come on.
0: He no, was a award-winning yeah. actor. I mean, No, he... no,
2: he was great. He honestly legit was.
7: What is this flask for me? I am Major Kira Norese, and I come with proof that the Cardassians are behind Minister Jaro's attempt to take control of the government.
8: Major Kira has long been an outspoken opponent of the Provisional Government of Reason. Of progress and now finally of me i'm honored to be included major but i have no intention of allowing you to disrupt the orderly transition of power with these wild charges
7: this is a manifest pad from a Krasari vessel it bears the thumb scan of a cardassian gull who transferred weapons to that ship those weapons were taken by the Krasari to the circle cool. coup will deliver Bajor back into the hands of its greatest enemies. Are you willing to live under Cardassian rule again?
5: I assure you there's nothing to these accusations.
9: Then you should have no objection to an inspection of this manifest minister.
8: No, of course not. We'll adjourn for the time being. And let me say that I completely support this investigation and fully
0: intend to cooperate. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So basically what we're saying is... Salome Jens. Oh, God, Salome Jens. Now, Salome Jens had also been in... Wasn't she in The Chase? Though? Yes, in she next was, end? actually, yeah.
2: as one of their... The uh janitors or whatever the hell it was. Oh yeah, but she w- played a different character. Yeah,
0: yeah. But like, she had, she had like a yeah, like yeah, a yeah. smooth, weird yeah, looking yeah, face. It was yeah, like
3: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that was that was amazing. And I'm sure we're forgetting, but you'll remind us on um, <laughs>
3: you'll remind
0: us on uh, tw- Twitter who we missed because yes. we're all doing this from from memory. That's right. And no we're all IMDb. Entire. No I'm
2: talking about memories. No, no Electronic notes. Frontier.
0: Never. So there you go. But this was interesting, huh? Yeah. You ready to come back and do uh, Exodus, uh, Voyager, and uh, Enterprise? You're goddamn right I am. Well, we got a special guest. Mike Sussman's going to join us. Whoa, to, crazy. To, to talk about what it was like being there. And 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 the fact that they didn't get, you know, when they, when they got the Bible, what their reaction was. And um, it'll be interesting. We'll have somebody on the inside, the inside man. <laughs> awesome. That should be yeah.
1: quite the episode. I look forward to it.
0: And then uh, we'll t- we'll go back to the beginning where it all started with the uh, Genesis uh, TOS Bible,
1: the original. Because we did we did
0: the, we did the pitch, pitch, but we didn't really do the Bible. So we'll go yeah. and look at the original. You series. did the
2: pitch, but you didn't do the Bible.
0: We didn't move the Bible. You we didn't, didn't move, move it. the Bible. We, we we left the bodies. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back and do that. But uh, this was great. I'm really enjoying this uh, series on the uh, Bible Star Trek. Huh?
2: It's fun. Yeah, it is. It's a yeah. great way of kind of looking back at how That's these shows evolve. It is. It's forward and backwards and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. Yeah, that. Something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's always great having you back on the show. Ashley Miller, Trexpert extraordinaire. Um, you know, I think we, we made a good decision um, <laughs>
2: when we knighted you. Thank you. You That's always great. have my sword. <laughs> <laughs> and my axe
0: and, f- fantastic and a <laughs> no um, variety
2: of weapons
0: and we have some great shows coming up and some great uh commentaries coming up in the uh Treksworth briefing room an entirely different podcast, <laughs> entirely
2: different
3: podcast. Yeah, those
0: of you who didn't completely
2: know. freaking different it's not the and same
0: <laughs> we want to we want to thank our uh, our uh, fabulous sound engineer bill ritter um of course our producers uh Peter Holmstrom, Natalie Miscali, Zach Raggetz. Thank you for all your help. And of course you, our audience, um, for, for being here for another episode and uh, listen to us to ramble on. And hopefully you'll be joining us at the Skirball center, November 6th, for some more insights into arena. And, uh, because we're still upset about Cestus three. That's right. really, really was very upsetting because that was, of terror. he set a great table and now we're never going to have that meal. No. So, uh, It's unfortunate, but we will have the snack officer uh, because we (laughs) never send him down on missions because he's too valuable. You couldn't afford to
1: lose the
2: snack officer. Can't can't lose, can't lose the The
0: snack
1: snack officer officer is far too valuable to join an
2: away team. As we, that's right. There's no way Lieutenant Crafty is going down with the rest of the away
0: team. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to seeing those on the big screen too. Balance of Terror and Arena, both great episodes to see on the big screen, Um, and I I just can't wait for that speech. But I always love that scene of Balance of Terror. Where um after you know Kirk decides to turn and fight, you know, to go yeah. into the neutral zone, and you know, you're taking an awfully big risk, uh, McCoy tells him. And they walk out and the music is going, and they're walking out of the file and out of the briefing room, and everyone is like really serious and the you know, door closed behind. I just I love that I love that scene. It's so you know, it's just like very powerful. Agreed. Start plus it's also very good show. Yeah, I, I kind of like hear that. Plus, this is neutronium, deutronium. The hardest substance known to man. I believe it's Castrodinium. Cast. This is Castrodinium. This is the hardest substance Cast. This is mama cast. The hardest substance known to man. <laughs> and then the music hits. It's Freaking great. Fucking show is so awesome. I love Star Trek. <laughs> Don't <laughs> mince words, What do you really? <laughs> Don't mince words. So anyway, well, look, it's been great having you. I hope you'll go on Apple and uh, rate us five stars. Uh, of course, uh, check us out on the Electric Now app free episodes uh, of um, not only our show, but the other great podcasts uh, on the electric surge podcast network, as well as episodes of leverage librarians, uh, comedy specials, flash Gordon serials, all, all a ton of fun. So check those out. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week with an all new episode of the glorious Sports. But until then, on behalf of Ashley, Darren, and myself, Mark Day Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, gloriously, of course, engage.